0: Hello friends, welcome back to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. On today's show, I chat with James Dooner for our third and final podcast of the January Seminar Tour. This topic, uh, the topic for this one is movement. It's a really big topic, so this will probably be an intro episode for several more to come. Um, James is the movement team leader at the Footner Program, which means that he oversees the movement research team uh, and leads the development of our movement-specific events, We're going to be launching a movement workshop later in 2020 and should have an entire movement seminar ready to go for the January 2021 Australia Tour. Always a pleasure talking movement with James, and we hope that you enjoy the episode. This episode of the show is brought to you by TFC Events. Events are a chance for our instructor team at TFC to create memorable health experiences filled with learning, movement, play, and connection. We load up the session with games, simple lifestyle-based education tips, and a major mission with events is to clarify the path to health and give people back responsibility for their bodies. 2020 is a major development year that we're using to expand our instructor team and refine some awesome new events, but we do plan to offer a few sessions. um, And for a list of upcoming events, you can check out tfc-shop.com and click on the events tab uh, for a list of those. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by The Roasters Pack. Our team at TFC Head Office are big fans of coffee before 11 a.m. And this company offers you a pretty cool subscription service that delivers you three awesome coffees to your door each month and gives you the story of the beans um, in terms of the the craft roasters that the beans come from. Check out theroasterspack.com, use the code FOOT at checkout, and you'll get seven bucks off your first month of any subscription. Last but not least, this episode is sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear to and from seminars and workshops. They make super high-quality hard cases in Canada, and they can keep your electronics safe during travel. For more info on that, check out nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com. That's it for sponsors, so let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio
1: Project.
0: It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hello friends, Nick and James here for our third podcast of the Aussie Tour. Uh, We just got back from a powerful walk and decided that it was necessary to do an intro episode on the topic of movement. And just to give a little bit of context, James is the movement team leader for the footner program. And uh, what that means is, you know, at the footner program, we have research teams for each pillar of health. And it's basically groups of nerds that have a passion for a specific pillar and, you know, both research the topic and also help to craft events specific uh, to each topic. So I think walking meetings are massive.
1: Yeah, man. I'm realizing that more and more lately. Yeah, we've had Especially some over the, this golden few chats
0: over, yeah. over walks, like more so than... And it makes sense. Like we talked about that, I think, <clears throat> on the last podcast where movement enhances brain function. Mm. And I think... But there's also, I think, something where you're literally synchronizing your movement with someone. And I think when you have a deep conversation, Ooh. you're also synchronizing your brains a bit.
1: Yeah, like the synchronization of movement. Yeah, like we noticed our gait uh, like rhythm of gait really synced up yeah pretty much every time you go for a walk with someone and for all you listening when you go for a walk with someone notice how the gait tends to sync up yeah so that in. syncing up is almost then the brains will tend to sync up too yeah <laughs> there's probably research behind that i don't know <laughs> yeah who knows <laughs> we'll see
0: anyway, all about it is is that if you feel it it's real yeah um <laughs> so let, maybe let's start um with your history of movement because mm-hmm. you're you're a mover. Uh, you're obsessed with movement. You're actually a really insane mover. And maybe let's talk about like when did you when did that start? Like, what got you? Uh, what gave you the the movement bug? And how did that start from the beginning?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm not quite an insane mover. I I, I think I sort of see myself as a bit of a like jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing. Right. Like uh, and that's been true throughout my whole life. Um, my my parents were always pretty keen on. All of us, I've got a few siblings as well. They were keen on all of us trying as many sports as we wanted to, pretty much. So, they just facilitated that throughout our childhood. So, my biggest, uh, like I played soccer most of my life, probably for 15 years. Cool. But I also, throughout that, I tried my hand at swimming, uh, volleyball, tennis, martial arts, uh, softball, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, (laughs) softball, pretty, actually, anything except rugby, AFL cricket, so all the all the things over the Australian sport, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, But uh, I really, I always liked going through the like learning through learning skills through sports and. I don't know. I just, I think I just developed a really big interest in it. And I found the more different sports I learned, the better I could pick up other sports that mm-hmm. I tried my hand at. That's
0: where <laughs> it's at, being the ultimate generalist. And I think we know that like the best athletes with the longest longevity, even in pro sports, we're all multi sport athletes, right? Yeah. So the, the Peyton yeah. Mannings, the Wayne Gretzky's. Like as kids, they didn't specialize early. And that actually allowed them to pick up this massively broad skill set that they can apply in their sport in, in extremely profound ways but i think if you know you wonder if they would have specialized early if they would have gotten to that same level of sustainable performance
1: yeah well there's a whole book about that actually i started listening to it i haven't finished it it's called range by david epstein oh yeah you were talking about that i think it's david epstein and but yeah Did uh, you write the sports gene too no nah, who nah, wrote that I one ooh, i don't know oh yeah link it to me but anyway he talks he actually uses wayne gretzky as an example and i think there's a lot to that because when you practice lots of different types of movement and sports then you start to see a lot of overlapping patterns between each one and and performance like good performance in one will tend to carry over into performance in another even if it's not direct right Uh, because the
0: foundations are very similar yeah and there's principles
1: principles of efficient movement right and, and like balance and, and strength and just adaptability of the nervous system as well. Coordination. Uh, yeah. So hmm. I think that's pretty big. And I think as well, it, uh, it would be protective from injuries because, and this is what we'll talk about in a bit is the variety of movement really matters in how much your body can handle. Right. Yeah. Very true. So yeah, that, that's pretty much, I just try, I kept trying lots of different things and would tend to get bored of one and try another one and uh but yeah like I said that sort of set me up really well now that these days I just have the confidence to have a crack at something be okay with sucking at it for a while because I do suck at things for a while and then everyone does but yeah you got it that's the point yeah and then if I think that's probably the other thing it teaches you is to be okay with that discomfort push through that discomfort of not being good at something at first and then sure enough soon enough You just have
0: the mindset that by practicing, by working on it, you can improve slowly but surely. And I think you're right. You have this automatically, you have this plate of skills that have been picked up through other sports that allow you to pick other sports up fairly quickly or Mm. or, or be fairly competent, Mm. um, I think, much quicker than someone without that broad background.
1: Yeah, and I used to kind of, I used to be like, oh, I wish I was like way better at soccer so I could be a professional soccer player. I think I wanted to be a professional soccer player when I was young. Mm -hmm. But then looking back on it, I'm like, I'm actually pretty happy that, I've just got a decent level at all of these things. Cause I right. can have a lot of fun with my movement these days. Cool. I think people underestimate how much fun movement can be they do. when you have like a baseline base level of confidence and skill in a, in a number of different areas.
0: Yeah. And like, we'll talk about later the exercise and fitness realms and what they've done. Um, to kind of turn movement into a punishment that you do Mm. to be able to eat shitty food or not get overweight. And we'll, we'll talk about that, but maybe a good place to start is like what, when someone says movement, what is, what is movement to you?
1: Yeah. So, well, the way I've been thinking about it lately is movement is just the way we interact with our environment. So especially when it comes to humans Mm -hmm. and animals, like the, whether that's walking, running, throwing, touching like communicating even language is a style of movement like yeah. body language we're and, talking about and it, musicians musicians movement. yeah so you're just interacting with your environment you're having a physical effect on your environment um that's that's the way i look at movement and cool. obviously ancestrally that's what we needed in order to survive so we needed to find food we needed to reproduce the movements like the natural human movements uh what allowed us to do that
0: right if you couldn't move, you couldn't survive. Yeah, it was managed. To, like it up. was interconnected so deeply that one necessitated the other. And if you couldn't do, if you couldn't move, you couldn't hunt. You couldn't protect your young. You couldn't find a mate. Yeah. Um, and like I think the concept of you know that Katie Bowman talks about of movement nutrition, mm. uh, I think is really profound. Like That's we've been unpacking that quite a bit. And my favorite can, concept, I think. You, and you can go pretty deep, and I think it's a very oh, yeah. useful parallel for a lot of people that have this intuitive understanding that you need to balance nutrition in order to be optimally nourished um, but I think we don't take the same mindset when it comes to movement. So, mm. you know, when someone says movement nutrition, um, what do you, what does that make you think of?
1: Yeah. So, Katie Bowman's book, Move Your DNA. I read that when I was in my first year out of physio.
0: Oh shit! That's that was early on the. I wish I would have read that in first year. That's oh no, not sorry,
1: not first year physio. I was first year practicing as a physio. Oh okay, yeah. still, that's still. I good. wish I'd I wish I'd read it in first year of physio.
0: Yeah. Well part of me because one time i was like oh i wish i would have known some of this stuff and when i started physio school and then i would and then i was like actually i'm kind of glad i didn't because it would have sucked eat yeah a well, lot right you're like well this point. isn't right this isn't what it's, what we're supposed to be yeah. learning so
1: but it does yeah. help it did help give me a lot of context to what i was doing with clients and i, mm-hmm. I was working in a physio clinic it was it was largely manual therapy based and um I think we might have talked a bit about that in the last podcast or in our first one, but it was largely manual therapy based we maybe did we recommended a few postural things, but when I read this book, I was like ah oh, it, it put it put movement into a much bigger, broader context for me, and mm. I realized that uh, a lot, like movement nutrition is essentially the idea that your body like our bodies literally require movement in order to survive and thrive and not like on a DNA level like there's a a process called mechanotransduction so where loads in the environment loads internal or external loads get transmitted into chemical signals in the cells and so and
0: that influences cellular behavior and cellular development and adaptation yes
1: yeah and katie explains it really well in her book and I, I'd, I'd probably butcher it if i had tried to explain it well right now but <laughs> i don't she's think got, anyone
0: can explain it as well as Katie Baldwin, yeah so, so, so
1: and she's got she's got free blogs and stuff as well and a great podcast but that is a really key idea around it is that the Loads that we experience in, from the environment or, f- from, or internally will affect the structure and function of our cells and then therefore our um, tissues and organs and whole body. Right. So <clears throat> just, just the same as food would, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and like an easy example of that would be if someone goes on bed rest or astronauts go out into space and they have a lack of movement, a lack of gravity, then their bone mineral density decreases their muscle uh muscle mass decreases they have all these effects on their body that regardless of what food they're eating doesn't matter how much calcium or protein you're eating if you're not moving your bone bone mineral density decreases you're not getting the right
0: inputs to to create that adaptation even if you have the raw ingredients you need the input to facilitate kind of the, the correct adaptation
1: exactly and so in large part the the structure and function that you have in your musculoskeletal system and your neuromusculoskeletal system is a result or the sum of the total movement and loads that you've been exposed to throughout your life.
0: Right. So, So, which also means there's always hope because if you've had, you know, suboptimal movement exposure your whole life and you have low muscle mass or poor movement patterns, all you have to do is then... You know, we talked about how that just means you're in the concept of movement nutrition. You've been malnourished.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's not like you're broken. Right. It's just that you're starving, essentially. Yeah. And uh, a lot of, I think it's, it is an interesting analogy to think of if someone was starving, they hadn't had any food for a while or they'd only eaten like a really tiny amount of food and they're getting these crazy hunger pains and discomfort and low energy and all these things and then someone was like, oh yeah, here's a pill to cover up your um, hunger pains or like here's a massage on your tummy to make your tummy feel a bit better. We'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> like just give them some food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. And, and on the flip side, it's like if you, if you eat way too much, And your body's not ready to eat like a massive meal then you're gonna feel a bit sick you're gonna probably get hunger pains as well and so a lot of people have just not got the right quantity either the quantity of nutrition through movement or they don't have enough variety as well variety is a big piece because and a good analogy that katie uses i think she i think she uses carrots or maybe it's oranges but either way it's the same if you they're about carrots, the same color. Yeah. <laughs> if, like, carrots are great for you. But if all you eat is carrots, uh, then you're not going to have a whole food diet. You're going to be end up malnourished as well. Even right. though they'll provide you with some nutrition, they'll provide you with some vitamins and some... Um, like a small amount of carbohydrate and fiber, right. it's not enough to feed, like to actually help you thrive. Right. So carrots you, might, you might survive on that for a bit, yeah. but eventually you're going to have some issues.
0: Yeah. And carrots aren't bad for you, but if that's no. all you eat, that is, that could be a really bad situation. And I think that parallel to exercise is perfect because exercise is not bad for you, yeah. but if all you do is exercise, but you don't move, and we'll kind of qualify what that means uh, a little bit later. But if all you do is exercise and you don't move, you're also going to be malnourished in the in the context of movement. Yes. Um, and and like you said, if you're starved, if you're malnourished, just start nourishing yourself. Start, start nourishing yourself. Start with- gradually consuming the nutrients that you've been missing. Yep. Um, and. And you'll all of a sudden your body will start to become nourished again and it's and it doesn't matter it's never too late to start that's the crazy thing and you're not yeah. broken it's just you need the nutrients that you're not getting
1: yeah yeah 100 so. percent. i think that was really helpful for me to think about it in that way and it's like since i've read that book i've been explaining it to clients that way and it, it does resonate but it does make sense to people when you explain it like right. that and it's very very helpful for, for re- reframing how people think about movement is so right. important.
0: And it's intuitive. I think that's, if you can explain it to a 12 year old and they can get it, um, then I think anyone can get it. That's interested in actually listening to the words coming out of your mouth. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, even like the, you know, we talked about the ancestral requirement for movement where movement was never an option. It was something that we needed to do to survive, to mm-hmm. find a mate, to reproduce, to, to hunt was a big one. Um, and we've kind of decoupled the requirement for, movement in order to survive and i think that's this big thing where you know if we're wired if organisms and creatures are innately wired to be lazy which really just means don't use energy that you don't have to use yeah right like if, a, if a dog, it, was sca-
1: it was scarce energy was relatively yeah, it was scarce. A scarce resource and to yeah. waste
0: it would be silly it would probably mean that you'd drop out of the gene pool yeah and you know if you're if you see a cheetah and if a cheetah saw a human exercising and it could talk and and be you know maybe have an expanded consciousness be like what are you doing yeah it's like you're not hunting you're not trying to reproduce like what are you what, you're literally wasting energy for the sake of wasting energy yeah. to look a certain way yeah it's so weird
1: yeah um, yeah so th- that that's the thing so in a natural environment where we did have to move to survive then all of those natural movements squatting walking running sprinting jumping climbing throwing uh building making tools all these natural movements would f- fill up our a whole food nutritious movement diet right and so because humans have gotten so smart so so high tech uh, and so good at outsourcing movement to other humans or animals or machines then a lot of us no longer need to move to survive yep and so we yeah because we no longer need to like you said we're sort of built essentially built to be lazy then we try We just don't move as much and right. le- And then, and then we start to feel sick and then we use exercise to fill the f- void, fill the void. But it's, it's not enough. Like we discussed with the carrots.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's, I think the, the quality and quantity and variety is an important one there because mm. you need to, you need to expose your body to enough environmental circumstances that you have a basic competency. Like a basic level of quality is mandatory before you consume quantity yes right and we talked about how quality is an extremely contextual and subjective term because Mm -hmm. there's no like if you take the squat for example there is no one specific way to squat no one can tell you you have to squat this way now if you have 500 pounds on your back in that context there's probably a certain way to squat that will be most optimal to avoid injury and to also move the highest amount of weight most efficiently
1: yeah And and that would be contextual to your body as well right yeah there'd be general principles of how you should move in order to push that weight without getting injured but it would depend on your leverages as well like your femur to uh, waist ratio like a femur to torso ratio like those kinds of things and your strength too and your strength if you have
0: gorilla quads and you have weak (laughs) hips then you should probably be doing a more quad dominant squat like it is it's all context but I think two things that are undeniable is the quantity you have to have enough exposure to movement that you're not malnourished and you also have to have enough variety that you're also not malnourished
1: yeah And, and on the quantity piece so both enough but also not too much. So that's where True. I think people go wrong: is they they get um, they just get too much. And it's, I suppose yeah, that comes into variety as well because they get too much of just one style of movement. Right. But also you you can burn yourself out if you're just doing way too much movement and not recovering enough. So yes. th- there is there is a threshold of quantity that you need to sort of stay under. But for most, I'd say majority of people in. Western society at the moment need to increase quantity, yes uh, but gradually
0: we 're way too sedentary, yeah, and it is kind of a sliding scale because what initially begins as perhaps too much movement for you um, once you gradually adapt and expose yourself to more and more movement progressively, well the ceiling of too much movement expands quite a bit so that you're mm. able you have a bigger spectrum to work within mm-hmm. but I think the key there is progressive gradual adaptation yep. instead of all at once right like if you don't move all day and then you go to a, a high intensity interval training workout you're going to destroy your body because not only are you not prepared you're, you're going from nothing to way too much but you're also the nothing you've been doing is reinforcing um you know the loss of certain parts being able to move so that you compensate in ways that end up hurting your body instead of giving it a benefit, right? Like mm-hmm. the carrots now actually become dangerous because your body no longer knows how to digest that carrot, no longer knows yeah. how to move.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's a trap that people get into is like they they do yeah, they for instance they sit all day, they do some kind of high intensity exercise or some kind of complex skill like running. Like people don't see running as a complex skill, but it mm-hmm. is and, and it's not something that's very complex most people can do very well or very efficiently if they haven't been trained. In a natural context we have mirror neurons that we see so monkey see monkey do. Mm-hmm. We look at our, like our adult tribe members running, we we model the way they run and because they've always they have to run efficiently uh, and they're running barefoot and so on. Then we just model that and then we pick it up. But because in today's day, we don't really see many good runners around um, for a number of reasons, shoes being one, chairs being another, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's a number of reasons why people don't run as well and just don't run as much. We don't get that same modeling. Right. So, Tangent, but you <laughs> you sit all day. You don't have a good baseline level of movement function generally, and then you go into uh, some kind of high intensity class or running or weightlifting or something. You hurt yourself. You go to a physio. They make you feel a little bit better. They may cha- they may change some things about like quality of movement and those kinds of things, but they don't give a broader context of how what's your movement nutrition like right. as a whole.
0: Right, because if they don't change the nutrition piece, then they might have a short-term mm. gain in reducing pain by boosting quality. But if you go back and are all of a sudden malnourished again, you're going to go right back into the state of having problems. And yeah. you're, and I think part of that just comes down to the individual has to, you know it's kind of bi-directional because the individual has to take more responsibility, Mm -hmm. but the professionals also have to give them what's needed to take more responsibility. Yeah. Like the Um, awareness
1: and tools like we were discussing in the previous one. And it's,
0: I I think there's a disconnect somewhere because a lot of people are getting injured, especially in the context of running. And I think very few people have an awareness of, um, what's causing them to get injured because it's not just their shoes. It's not just, um, you know, the running technique. It's, it's the whole picture of yeah, how much do you move during the day? How much do you sit in one static position? And then that makes your body adapt the way it moves in a way that doesn't let you run
1: efficiently anymore. Yeah. And um, also in the context of what food they're eating, what sleep they're getting, right. how, all, what the they're pillars. Mark, yeah, all the pillars. Yeah.
0: So I think the modern view of movement, if you ask someone, you know, today, what is movement? You know, the things that come to mind are like fitness and exercise. Yeah. So, and,
1: yeah. Like squats, bench press deadlifts running treadmill bike machine elliptical yes like yeah it's like a very small subset of they're still movements right uh but very 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 small fraction of what our body's capable of very little variety and quite often quite different to what we would be experiencing in a natural environment
0: yeah like i don't think cavemen had treadmills (laughs) it's not say treadmills are terrible but if that's all you run on and you're running in a way that's unnatural um then maybe the treadmill isn't good for you Mm. and you Mm. also like i think part of that the the nutrients you get with movement like when you go outside and you run on a trail in a forest Mm. you're also getting a lot of other nutrients that have nothing to do with the actual movement you're doing the sights the smells the exposure so many different things that we that are you know kind of fly below the radar but i think they all combine into you know what is a true movement experience while it's interacting with the environment yes and the traditional the ancestral environment is habitat is nature Mm -hmm. and you know if just more people got outside regardless of what exactly they were doing if you're outside you're not in a chair you're doing something good for your body
1: yeah even just walking like we were like we were talking about before like if if movement is nutrition then walking is kind of like your bread and butter or like uh, probably a better example is like <laughs> your, your your protein like so, something that your body really your main, needs a good amount like yeah. a baseline amount of in order to function well physically and and mentally
0: it's the majority nutrient that you require because yeah, we
1: were just walking all day like I know. Our, our, our genes expect us to be walking a, sh- a lot yes <laughs> yeah
0: and if you don't then you and i mean walking can be extremely corrective like yeah sure mm. you need a bit of mindfulness Um, Mm -hmm. with your walking and surely if walking is painful you need to do something to address the quality but for the most part i mean people can sit quite a bit and be able to and and go on a walk and the walking can do a lot to offset the time they spend sitting yeah um yeah and i think people just don't think walking is very sexy or they think they got to do the complicated stuff to lose weight and you know
1: or it's like or they see it as boring or like a waste of time because they're not getting very much intensity but it's it's amazing the benefits of a walk. Like you and I've been walking heaps. J- like yeah. it, like we'll go for like three walks a day. Yeah. And just chat and oh even if even if you're going solo, like the if you tune into your environment, a walk can be one of the most entertaining things. Right. Like out even there. in a city. yeah, The
0: city is you know, if you're in a city, it's kind of like a jungle. You can look around and be entertained quite a bit by the other humans that are walking around. Yeah. But I I really yeah, I think people just underestimate the power of walking both mm-hmm. on your brain function. Like technically speaking, the two best things you can do to boost your mental health are go on more walks and sleep better, Mm -hmm. uh, which I find very interesting. Yeah. Uh, Statistically, those are the two best things. So I think, you know, we talk about modern fitness um, and Mike and I did a podcast a while back that compared fitness and health. And when we defined fitness, you know, fitness traditionally was defined as your, your survival fitness, right? Like survival of the fittest means your fitness to survive meant that you are strong enough um, to protect yourself, to hunt, you were fit enough to find a mate. Your fitness was determined by your ability to survive, but now fitness has turned into like
1: six pack or like shredded abs or something or like, yeah. Or your your ability to run a marathon. Like we see, I mean, there's all these different definitions of fitness or like, like, uh, like a CrossFit athlete is dubbed the fittest person on the earth and, and right. they can do incredible things in a wide variety of um, like disciplines and movements, but that's still a tiny subset. Like if you put a CrossFit <laughs> right. athlete out into the, a natural habitat good luck like i don't think they're necessarily prepared to survive out there so it's it's, when we talk about fitness it's like fit for what and like i had a big conversation with matt from stage six and he's really big on this it's like if we're talking fitness like what what are you what are you talking about like there's a whole concept of specific adaptation to impose demand the said principle and the body can be very specific with its adaptations and people who yeah like if you're in a natural environment, you obviously have to adapt to the needs in that environment. Um, in today's environment, we, we sort of try to reverse engineer the function. Oh, like we try to reverse engineer the look of a functional, uh, fit body right. by doing certain exercises and eating in a certain way to make it, yeah, like a six pack, big biceps, big chest. And uh, like it's all, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's, it, yeah,
0: it's all about the look. And by going for just the look, you know, The funny part is, is if you actually um, move in a way that's functional, that is in line with your biology, you will get the look that fitness people are looking for. Yes. But if you do it the other way around where you go for the look... Without really paying much attention to being functional, you oftentimes end up decreasing your health and decrease in the in the and decreasing in, your function de- and decreasing your fitness in the def- in the global definition of like fit to survive and and be good at humaning. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. the fit people are the people, the quote unquote fit people are the people you see in physio clinics. They're mm. the runners that get injured mm. every year. They're the people that go to the gym every day and just get messed up. They have back pain. They sit all day and then they work out. And you know these sedentary exercisers. Are the biggest subset group that start to have all these musculoskeletal injuries. And, you know, I think to, to most people, they're like, well, I thought exercise was good for you. It's like, yeah, yeah the carrots are good for you. But just ha- you need more. Yeah. You need a, ba- a more balanced perspective on, on the world of movement.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, in that sense, I think CrossFit's doing a really good thing in terms of broadening people's horizons on like not just sticking to the basic like gym exercises or running like they, they really broaden it. But I think you you need to go broader. Yeah. It's still kind of, it's, they're
0: better for variety. Yeah. Better for it's... variety,
1: but there's still so much variety you can explore right. through. Like for me, I always in, in the workshops we run and, and with all my clients, I'm always big on encouraging people to just try their hand at it. Like, an, like if you like, try your hand at CrossFit, great. But then also, Try a little bit of yoga, try a little bit of animal flow, try a little bit of gym, like gymnastics, hacky sack. uh, sack. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just, just sort of explore your potential a bit more than just sticking to one. I think people get very, they pigeonhole themselves into like, I'm a yogi, I'm a crossfitter, I'm a runner. They identify with one subset. And it's like, that's what I do. Like, that's what I enjoy doing, but they, they haven't had a, a, that sort of limits them from exploring other movements that could be really good for them and they might enjoy as well.
0: Right. And I also think that the world of exercise and fitness has done, you know, overall probably a disservice to, the, um, to the, the joy of movement, right? Like people, movement isn't, you feel it, I feel it, we enjoy moving, which is why we move. We don't do it for some, um, you know, goal, to achieve some goal necessarily down mm-hmm. the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you move as a way to change your body... Uh, to lose weight to look a certain way instead of moving as a way to experience your body um or to to challenge your body there's those are different paradigms right like one is work and one is joyful and one is play yes and i think that you know we talk about the work play continuum and i think that's a powerful topic
1: yeah yeah for sure and the exercise these days has become very work focused and rehab has become very work focused and and one of my favorite books recently is Todd Hargrove's Playing with Movement. Yeah. And his verse, his first book, book actually A Guide to Better Movement was I really enjoyed because he goes he he takes a very accessible approach to like the pain neuroscience and different elements of movement but Playing with Movement I think is possibly even better. But he talks about play like play is the way that we develop skills so yep. like if you if you took some kids a bunch of kids put them out in a, a natural environment or just put them outside somewhere they'd start doing certain things and that would be things like playing tag, chasing each other around, climbing trees, throwing rocks. Um, throwing like, rocks is... A, when I see a kid
0: there just picking <laughs> shit up and throwing it, I'm like... Kids love throwing. It's, they love throwing and I love throwing too. I just don't do it frequently enough. Yeah. And it's like, you get permission as a kid to just pick things up and throw it. And yeah. I think we just... Like, you could literally... There's axe throwing now. You could literally open up a place where it's just target throwing of rocks. And I think it would blow up. It's so satisfying. There's a reason when you go to fairs, there's all these prizes for throwing throwing targets. And it's like something very in a primitive way is very satisfying when you just throw things.
1: Well it's because like throwing is one of the biggest things that uh set us apart from other animals. Like our ability to throw is way above what any other animal can do. And that allowed us to hunt. And so that that's sort of what I was getting at is these kids innately want to practice or they want to innately want to play with movements that Growing at, like throughout their development would help them survive. So the the running, like the playing tag or chasing each other around, is hunting or escaping from a predator. Right. Climbing trees is so that they can uh, survey the environment. Throwing stuff is so that they can hunt, Uh, wrestling that kids naturally will wrestle. They don't do that anymore because we tell them off, but the the kids will wrestle with each other. That's learning how to defend themselves and it's learning how to moderate their their violent tendencies or moderate their strength so that they know
0: what the limits are. What the limits are.
1: Yeah. And I think all of that play throughout development, one, it builds skill in a way that you can't do with a work focused mindset mm-hmm. and two it it builds a relationship with movement and pain and discomfort that i think a lot of us are missing these days so that that's i mean like a general summary of play uh, you can think of play as like creative exploratory it can be risky like mm-hmm. you know if you if you're balancing along a tree branch it's pretty risky but you're like it's it's important. Like that bale I had the other day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. For instance, a twirly well. <laughs> yeah. Balancing on a twirly well. Um, and it's unstructured.
0: It's yeah. um, in, intrinsically it's, motivating. That's a so big So you're one. not doing yeah. it as a means to an end. You're doing it because it's... And that's what, you know, whenever we um, do the play stuff at, at seminars and we ask, like, what comes to mind when you hear the word play? I don't think any I don't think I've ever done a session where someone hasn't said fun. Yeah. And it's like the first thing they say. Yeah, it's a, one it is and people say laughter, smiles and it's like, yeah, it's enjoyable and not and not that you have to really identify exactly why it is, but it's just connecting you to this, you know, anytime something's enjoyable or feels good or gives you pleasure. I think it's you know, the Evolution's done a really good job to make things that were very important pleasurable, right? Yes. Like sex is pleasurable because mm-hmm. it's very important to pass on your genes. Running is pleasurable because it's very important as a tool to be able to hunt and food. I think, and food, food, very food is very pleasurable. Although now sleep. we're all about nutrients, so yeah. We're, but food can be pleasurable. Sleep, sleep should is be pleasurable. Right, yeah, I, I love sleeping. Me now. Too. <laughs> God damn, sleep is amazing. Um, but but that's one of those things. Play is enjoyable because it served an extremely valuable process you know, purpose of being able to build skills that were required for survival. Yes, and and it,
1: and it wouldn't be innate unless it was very important. Because right. if play was just about having fun and it had no, served no functional relevance, then uh, we wouldn't do it because the yeah. law of energy conservation, like we don't want to spend energy unless <laughs> right. it's very important. And the play is the important part of building the skills in order to survive. And, and people think and that's that true across all mammals. Like, yes,
0: and all mammals yeah. play. Yeah. yeah. Right, in fact, all the other, the smarter... Um, the higher cognition an animal has, the more they play. Which yes. is why like humans play the most out of any animal, mm-hmm. or tr- or ans- I should say, ancestrally play mm-hmm. more than any animal. Yeah. Uh, chimps play a lot. Um, you know, turtles don't play as much because their brains aren't as big. Yeah, and maybe they're. I want maybe they do. They just play differently.
1: Yeah, who knows? <laughs> I'm not a turtle expert, yeah. but we'll find out.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll try and find out the turtle experts. <laughs> find some turtles that play. You could probably YouTube it and find stuff.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so and so there's there's huge value in play and so far like in modern environments so in modern lifestyle we sort of have shifted more towards the work aspect which is where we use movement as or like exercise as a way to change our body rather than to experience or express our body right. and i think there is value in work and and yep. it is a continuum so look play isn't always sort of fun and silly like I said it, it can it's a mindset that you can take to movement and and rehab uh, like where it's sort of tinkering like you, you can play play with certain variables uh, in a work approach that helps you get better results from that work so really like a personal example is for the for the whole of 2019 I was pretty much rehabbing uh, quadriceps tendinopathy that I'd developed a year before and had been sort of struggling with for that year before and then uh i started seeing so yeah i was struggling with because i kept trying to rehab it myself and there's issues even because i thought you know i'm a physio i can rehab this myself i know what i'm doing um but there's issues with rehabbing stuff yourself you can't see how you're moving for instance you sort of you sort of uh you need accountability, I think accountability accountability really helps yep. when I agree to, yeah, because if you 're only accountable to yourself, you can sort of get away with a little bit. but I started paying an exercise physiologist, which is Kelly Mann in in Brisbane at perform motion shout out kelly she 's awesome <laughs> nice. and uh, so she helped me with the programming, she had a look at how I was moving. there was a few like there was a few movement quality things that actually helped me increase the quantity, mm-hmm. which is coming back to what we were saying before but <clears throat> The, but you blended work and play Yeah, so I needed to do a lot of work I needed to strengthen the knee tendons basically. So I had bilateral quadriceps tendinopathy And I needed to strengthen them a lot So I ended up doing a lot of Uh, like decline squats so like a lot of knee like quad heavy loading Mm -hmm. but slow, steady so playing with tempo right? slow, steady or started with isometric actually and then increased to like slow and relatively heavy so you had to play with the loads Mm -hmm. and if like there'd be times throughout that period where I would flare up like I'd do too much I'd flare up the knees and then I'd go, okay, well I did too much. Right. And then, so it wasn't, it wasn't, so those
0: were the variables that you played with. You had a plan. Yeah. But it was a flexible kind of work ethic where it was more probably skewed towards the work side of the spectrum initially until you got to a certain point And then you were able to,
1: well, I was playing with the variables the whole time. Right. So, because, so it was work like the, the actual movements themselves were, you could see as work because it was repetitive. It was structured. It was kind of monotonous, progressive, just strength training. Mm -hmm. But I was playing with variables along the way to allow my body to get the right amount of quantity and variety that it needed to get out of this pain cycle basically right. and so it took it took a lot of work and a lot of play but now like on the macro view because i put in that work now my knees feel great i can do anything that i want to do i can do Brazilian jiu-jitsu i can do um, like tumbling jumping climbing beam stuff like when i first started the tfc stuff i i couldn't play on a beam without flaring up my knees and it was wow. like i was a little bit I felt a little bit like ashamed because I was like <laughs> I'm like doing all this stuff on the beam, but then afterwards like my knees would hurt, and I'd be right. like, Ah oh, shit. <laughs> and then yesterday you did 15 inches squats in a row. And yeah. fine <laughs> yeah felt great yeah and so there is a lot of value in work, but it just has to be in the right context and you, and you have to understand that you need to have a playful mindset to the work as well right and that the work is for being able to play more like i don't i didn't do the work so i could do more decline squats (laughs) (laughs) i did the work so that i could do all the other things that i want to be able to do and that that's great value but yeah it's it's a continuum and you gotta have you gotta sort of work in both
0: and yeah there's always a place for both when the continuum swings way too hard to one side you run into problems Although I think that's probably more relevant towards when it swings to the work side. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to find a joy of movement and you have to want to move. And I think yep. community is a big part of that, where if you have a group of people that you move with, it makes movement a lot more enjoyable. You're more likely to play. Right? You can play solo. You can play hacky sack. You can do stuff like that. But when you have other people to play with, it's um, it significantly increases. And it, part of that is built in accountability, right? Like, yeah. If you work out at a gym and everyone's there every day at a certain time and then you don't show and other people like, hey, where were you? Like, are you okay? Are you injured? You know, there's something there that increases the motivation um, and kind of the joy of interacting with another group of humans that have a shared set of interests uh, that you're moving with. I think community is massive. Like the social element of movement is a very, I think, ancestrally. Um, tightly bound element of movement where we moved as a group. We hunted as groups. We worked as a tribe. And so I think, you know, part of the, crappy part of modern fitness is that you'll go into some gyms people have headphones on mm. they're alone they're not talking to anyone they're doing shit they don't want to do they're all no one has a smile on their face it's very and, sad and so but i it's definitely shifting like I, I maybe it's just who you're exposed to or what you're exposed to but True. i definitely see a shift where you know crossfit has done huge things to increase the awareness of the social movement element absolutely um, i think there's more and more uh, like we went to um, Project Better in Melbourne and that is a community movement center that is not a gym yep. right it's very you know there's dogs running around people are talking to each other no one really has headphones on just doing their own thing they have cold tubs infrared yep. saunas like was, that. that is a very cool well rounded community movement health center health center yeah right and, it's, it's, and the, the word gym it doesn't do that justice
1: and they are out there and I think we touched on this in the previous podcast but that those gyms are out there like the two the that I'm i affiliated with in Brisbane Stage Six and Perform Three Sixty. That people pay a, a lot more to go to those facilities yep. than they would pay at like a twelve dollar a month anytime fitness or twenty four hour gym right. somewhere. But and it's not like one. It's because the movements they get exposed to are much more fun and interesting and good for their body. And they have high level coaches and high level like people, yeah these guys are awesome <laughs> and. Yeah. Uh, but mostly I think it's because they vibe with the community there yeah. and it, there's there's yeah, there's a lot of power in that. Well I
0: had the conversation with Brent, like um, shout out to Brent at Perform360, he's got an awesome place and just a really good gang and like that's an example. Him and Matt, they're both beasts. Yeah, like savage beasts mm. in terms of their strength and their moving capacity, and yet they are both insanely humble. They came to you know, Brent came to the seminar. Um, Matt came, Matt to, came, the came workshop. to the workshop and they're just like they're like yeah we just love to learn and brent was just like i loved what you said about sleep and that guy's a, that guy's a wizard when it comes to health yet he went there and was like i just want to pick up some stuff yeah um but you know i had a conversation with him where it's like yes it is, exp- it is it costs a good amount of money to come here but whether something's expensive or not all depends on how much value you get yes so you might pay a hundred dollars a month to go somewhere And it can be extremely cheap because if you get $500 worth of value, you're getting a great deal. Whereas you might pay $20 a month to go somewhere. It could be really expensive because you don't get shit. You just get to go and run on a machine instead of running outside. Right? So I think people, and and I think that's where these communities really are starting to thrive is yes, there is a higher price, but people find so much value in what they get that they are attracted to that. And they kind of self-select, right? Like you, you essentially harbor the kind of community that values, those things that they deliver high-level coaching really good movement variety um sense of community so it's yeah. pretty cool and
1: often the more you pay the more value you try to get out of it as well like right. the, like of, like the more value you can more get out invested. of it but you're more invested you're more accountable to actually showing up getting things done and the better result because people right. people pay for the result essentially yes. A- and the and the journey i suppose but like they're not uh, yeah. They're not like paying for the equipment or no. <laughs> it's like, exactly. Cause yeah. their
0: yeah. gyms with great equipment that people don't go to. Yeah. And um, p- there's
1: plenty of people like you look on Gumtree or Facebook marketplace, there's plenty of people selling their home gym equipment. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Cause they just got, they exactly. just weren't doing
0: it. You could always buy that, put it in your basement, but it's yeah. not the same. Um, <laughs> yeah. so I think maybe just kind of, tie this back in there's kind of a couple more topics number one is being uh, sedentary versus active and i think you know we do a lot to try and air out that definition and expand on it because a lot of people that work out a couple hours a day or run every day think they're active but i think we need to clarify the definition of you know you have 24 hours in a day eight hours you're in bed or sleeping you have 16 hours if you work out for two you still have 14 hours in the day. And th- what you do during that 14 hours is really what determines whether you're sedentary or whether you're active. Yep. Are you moving for the bulk of those 14 hours? And I would consider ground movement uh, as or ground living as movement because yep. you can't really maintain a static position for a prolonged period of time. And that's really what sedentary is, is, is accumulating one static position for prolonged periods of time. We just happen to use the sitting position in a chair as that sedentary as the most popular sedentary behavior but if you stood with zero movement for six hours it is the exact same thing you're still sedentary yeah it's right still,
1: yeah it'd still be bad it's just that standing promotes more movement essentially. Right. and you're loading yeah. your body and ground just, yeah ground sitting promotes more movement right it, like we've engineered chairs to be so comfy that you can just chill there for like hours and hours and <laughs> right. hours and like you don't really get a signal to move necessarily. Exactly.
0: Whereas when you sit on the hard ground, your ass gets sore, you shift position even slightly, right? The slight fidget that you just did because we're, we're both sitting on the floor, on tile floor, the slight fidget you just did to change position very slightly was a, nutri- was a movement nutrient that you got. Yep. To- to avoid getting malnourished and just staying in one position for like three hours.
1: Yeah, and if you look at the position of my hip right now, yeah, I'm never going to get in this position on the chair. Right, it's exactly. ridiculous. You're basically in <laughs> like a full internal lunch. rotation. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, yeah, I think that that's really big. It's not about. I think people think about oh well, I can't like exercise all day, but they, they haven't got that perspective on just movement. Right. It, like low movement low level exercise. low level movement. Just ground, like ground sitting, like walking, um, just being in a squat. These kinds of things count as movement. uh, And that's what we're really after. Like, are you sitting in a chair for most of the day? Or are you in different positions, moving through different positions most of the day? Right. And that's what determines whether or not you're essentially sedentary or active. Right. And I think you just have
0: to have the... You need the, the mindset of being a movement opportunist, of literally using every opportunity you can find to move right like an easy one that i see all the time at airports is like you can either go up the escalator or you can go up the stairs so being a movement opportunist you're going to take the stairs and you're you know i think we like we said we outsource movement to machines all the time Mm -hmm. um you know people drive their car three minutes down the road to pick up groceries like just walk right and and the funny thing is, is by walking there you're peeling away the, the sitting you'd do in your car, but you're also having to bring your groceries home. You're also having to do a loaded carry when you come home. Yeah. And at a certain point, it's going to get tiring. You're going to shift the load somewhere else. And these yeah. are all little micronutrients that develop into a more balanced movement, nutrition that, that, that essentially bring you to health. It's not any one thing. It's doing most of the things well for a long period of time. Mm. And I think, you know, this quick fix culture of, Oh, I can just eat shit um, or sit all day and then just exercise and it's all good. It just, it's not the truth. Yeah. And I think we've, I and think we're starting research to see that. Back
1: to that as well. It's, it, it says you can't counteract six hours or I think it's like. You can't, It's six or eight hours of sitting. Right. Six hours to be considered sedentary. Yeah. And you can't counteract that with an hour of exercise. No. Or two hours of exercise. Or any amount of
0: exercise, really. And in fact, you're more likely to get injured because the six hours of sitting that you did Mm. is making you, um, is giving you poor movement patterns such that you're higher likelihood of getting injured.
1: Yeah. Especially when you do a quantity that you're not prepared for. Right. Yeah. And on that, like the, one of the heuristics we give for movement is, engineering an environment that promotes movement right so for instance having an area on the ground like a, a big open area on the ground maybe in front of your tv where it's rather like than a goat a, with a mat with something. a mat yeah like some, something that's inviting to sit yes. down on uh other than a lounge or a couch you can still have a couch there but maybe push it up against the wall yeah, or make just it less it.
0: convenient to sit on the couch
1: yeah yeah, yeah, uh, or more obvious, like oh yeah, I put that mat down because I want to spend more time on the ground. <laughs> it's a remote Or for me, like we we just put a hanging bar, like a pull up rig, on our balcony, and so every time I go out on my balcony, I'm like, oh, that's all right, I've got a pull up bar there now. I'll do some hanging, do Great. some pull ups, do like, and then I've got it's like a cool sort of astroturfed area as well, so I might do a little bit of ground movement on the on the astroturf as well. Cool, and just very simple little things like that, or or going out and purposely putting yourself around places that uh invite movement or promote movement like like gyms like cool gyms like P360 and yeah. stage 6 like or going to a park and a playground mm-hmm. hanging around with people who like movement like you you can engineer your environment to a degree that yep. you movement is more promoted than sedentism
0: right and i think we underestimate how much the environment nudges our behaviors, right? Like we know, we talked about in seminar, how behavioral economics tells you that 95% of the decisions you make during the day are not, are based on quick rules of thumb, um, mental shortcuts. Mm. And if you know the environment has that profound of an effect, you can engineer nudges in your environment so that the, the mindless default is actually movement instead of being sedentary. Because yes. the bulk of culture now makes it so that the mindless default is sedentary behavior. Mm-hmm. And so if you, um, you know, if you engineer your environment, you avoid becoming a slave to it. And I think movement fits that really, really, really well um, because slight changes can have profound effects on how much movement you get right? Just switching two hours on the couch every day with two hours on the floor is, is a powerful frame shift in your movement. And like after a month, you have a totally different set of hips. Yeah, literally. Well,
1: I think that's doing moving more on the ground and just being more on the ground. I think that's, I credit that for most of my hip mobility. And like, I don't have the best mobility in the world, but it's certainly far better than the average person. And right. I haven't done a huge amount of specific hip mobility exercises, I just spend a lot of time moving and sitting on the ground. Right. And like, it's very efficient. I don't have to spend, like, otherwise you're sort of spending... Hours and hours tightening up your hips and then spending hours and hours (laughs) loosening up your hips whereas you just don't tighten the hips up in the first place and they stay. It's like shoes. Yeah. Just don't wear shitty shoes and you're good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well I think that was a good outlay on movement and this was kind of part one and um, you know, if we can get Zoom working to do some crisp um audio episodes then maybe we'll try and do like a move cast like a movement based uh podcast episode every month and just riff on um you know certain topics that we're thinking of when it comes to movement because Mm You know, you're going to be digging deeper and deeper into movement um, as you develop kind of a movement workshop, eventually movement seminar, and you're, um, you know, contributing to the footner program and the movement, um, pillar. So we'll look out for future episodes. We'll, um, you know, when we post this, we'll post something on social media. If there's anything regarding movement specifically that you really want us t- uh, to kind of go into or expand on, um, uh, just throw it in the comments and, um, yeah, we hope that that gave you some value, expanded your definition of movement and hopefully motivated you to become more of a mover instead of um you know more of a mood mover and less of a sitter so it you know it's movement is like a nutrient you need a broad variety but i think we need to shift our perspective we need to make you know the most important ingredient with movement is fun if movement is fun and you involve and you incorporate play you're going to move a lot more um Absolutely, yeah, and then engineer 100%. your environment so movement is the default yeah so, anyway we'll catch you next week thanks for listening